Thank you, Cindy. Thank you for being here. Thank you for joining us online. Every week, more and more folks come back to church. It's really been great. We've been, and the amazing part is that as people have returned to on campus, our online numbers have continued to be strong. So uh, thank you for being here, and thank you for being a part of Bible School. I do want to challenge you that those funds that the children raised will provide school supplies for 32 children in Carrollton Farmers Branch. And I think we can do 100. So I want to challenge our congregation, let's triple that amount so that we can help over 100 kids that are challenged financially um, to have a complete list of backpack school supplies be ready for the first day of school. Let's do that. Well, today we're going to look at the banquet, the table, how Jesus uses this metaphor to talk about the kingdom of God. And I want to start out by just referring to the Olympics. Have y'all been watching the Olympics? Anybody? Yeah, I'm having trouble figuring it out. There are so many different options. I can't figure out what's live, what's not, where to go, and but I have been watching and keeping up, and it, to me it's just amazing every four years how the world gathers together the most incredible athletes to compete at that high level. Um, and, and, you know, we idolize, particularly in the culture today, we idolize these athletes. We put them on pedestals. And the problem is, is that, what would you say? Literally, yeah, put them on a pedestal, yeah, literally. Um, the problem is they're humans just like us. They're human beings just like us. Um, Simone Biles, you may have heard her story, 24-year-old gymnast, uh, literally the best gymnast in the world. She can do particular um, gymnastic, uh, whatever you call it, that nobody else in the world can do. And suddenly, during the team competition, she withdraws. Um, you know, she was criticized. In some ways, she was even vilified in the news media. The response was really interesting. And as, as I was, and we probably won't ever know the full extent of her story. But as I was, as I was kind of thinking about this, you know. And as I was watching the team the other night, you could see that that team was connected around her. That their connection and their love for each other was more important than winning a medal. And as it turns out, she gave the opportunity to a couple of other folks on her, girls on her team to win medals that they would not have won otherwise. Here's here, here's the problem that we have in our culture. We have so put competition at a premium that we have forgotten how to be humble, how to live with humility. 
Now, I, I don't want you to misunderstand me. I love watching competition. And I have to confess, there have been times in my life where, <laughs> you know, competition has, uh, has, has been really a, uh, a sin for me. It's defined my behavior. But life is more than winning. Life is more than collecting medals and recognition. And I think this is what Jesus is trying to teach us in this passage. He's trying to teach us the full essence of what it means to be a part of a connected community. Let's pray. Lord God, may the words of my mouth and may the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our strength, our redeemer. May these words be your words. Hide me behind the cross, O God, that we would hear your word today, no matter what I say, for I ask it in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Well, Jesus is at a wedding banquet, and he is watching the Pharisees Jockey for position. You know, you, you go to a banquet, particularly one where there's a, a little bit of politics involved. You ever been to one of those? Or influence. And the closer you get to sit to the host, the more influence that you might have and attention you might get. And so Jesus is watching them as they're jockeying there. And he makes this statement. He says, but when you get invited, go and sit down at the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Jesus is making the point that life begins with humility. It's not about jockeying for first place. Sometimes it's about lowering ourselves um, for the sake of others, for the sake of the community, for the sake of the com- connection. Um, you know, the arrogance of the Pharisees was a sin, and we see it again and again and again in, in the stories that are told through the Gospels. And their sin is such that Jesus condemns it. He says at one point that they are like tombstones full of bones, whitewashed. But even his disciples struggle with this issue. In Mark chapter 10, Mark tells us the story of James and John going to Jesus and asking to sit at the right and left hand when he comes into his glory. The other ten disciples find out about it. They're incensed. They're angry. You know, what gives them the right to sit at the place of honor? What gives us the right? Do we have that right? The greatest enemy to our faith and our lives together is our ego. Now, that may be hard for us to hear, but it is the enemy of our faith. It's the enemy of our connective, it's the enemy of our families, our community. 
Ego undermines our relationships. It is poison to our soul. And setting aside egos is hard. And yet it is necessary in our connection with each other. It is necessary in God's family. It is called upon us by Jesus. For the only way that people are going to see Jesus in our lives, the only way that they're going to see Jesus in our lives is if they sense we have a humble spirit. If we try to somehow lord over them as if we are better than others. I mean, that's that's the quickest way to turn someone off to the gospel. The gospel is about acceptance. The gospel is about love. The gospel is about um, inclusion. The gospel is about um, inviting, not judging and making ourselves better. Matthew says in chapter 18, verse 4, that whoever humbles himself like a child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Childlike humility is a requirement for service among God's people. The problem is we want attention. Right? Right? One guy said, I'd like to be humble, but what if nobody notices? What if nobody notices? Well, here's three sound bites that I would like for you to carry with you today about humility, okay? Are you ready? Humility is not thinking less of ourselves. It's not demeaning ourselves. Humility is thinking about ourselves less. You get the difference there? No, it doesn't mean we think less of ourselves. We don't demean ourselves. We don't think of ourselves as, as, as something that, that, is, that is trash. No, instead it takes, an, takes a healthy person to be able to think of others on a constant basis because we know that our lives are secure. Humility is not thinking less of ourselves. It's thinking about ourselves less. Second, humility leads us to realize that when one person loses, we all lose. And you want to talk about competition in sports? We learn that in team sports, right? I mean, no matter how talented a particular player may be, if the team loses, everybody loses. In connected community, we are really called, and I think Jesus, in, in, in using this table of the banquet, uh, is, is trying to tell us that if anybody at the table loses, we all lose. And, 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 and think for a moment, what would it look like? What would it look like when we walk through the door of our houses, our homes, when we walk through the door of our church, when we walk through the door of a, of a school, when we walk through the door of, of any organization, if we think 
first about how we can make everybody else successful. I know I've told you this before, but when I was, I, I, I got the opportunity early in my ministry to be an elementary camp director for about, I don't know, it seemed like 50 or 60 years, but it was only like eight. Um, and I would tell the kids every year that what I want you to do is not to focus on yourself and have fun, because if you do that, only one person will be focused on you. But instead, I want you to work as hard as you can to help everybody else at this camp have fun. And if we will do that, instead of one person, me, focused on having fun, there'll be everybody else focused on me to help me have fun. That's how I think that's what Jesus is saying to us. He's saying, as a connected community, it's not so much about looking out for ourselves, but rather looking out for the needs of others. How can we give ourselves up in order to make a difference? Now, I want to point at a word here that Jesus uses, that Luke uses um, to describe the words of Jesus when he says, uh, uses the word humility. The word is uh, tapaneo, which is translated humility, but more fully it means to make low. And when we see this word, and we see it several times in the New Testament, it is associated with full dependence upon the Lord. And, and so the act of making oneself low is not the act of depreciation. It is the act of obedience and dependency upon God. It is to say... I am under your authority, O oh Lord. I am under your truth, O oh God. I am under your direction, O oh God. Show me your way. Not the way that I would go, but the way that you would have me go. It also means emptying our ego. Giving up our ego is pretty tough, isn't it? Hmm. When we humbly take the focus off ourselves and put it on someone in need or someone else, it is amazing how the Lord blesses. He blesses our connection, He blesses our family, He blesses our community. And God can still bless our nation. We're drawn closest to each other when we imitate Jesus. And what did Jesus do? He gave his life for us. He didn't have to. Jesus was the king of kings. He and the Lord of Lords. He was all powerful. Jesus had the authority over all the angels. And yet Jesus humbled himself unto death and sacrifice for us. 
and calls us to do the same and to make sure that there is a place even if we have to sit at the end of the table for everybody. So, right now, what defines your life? Friends, family, kids, parents, what would they say about your life? What would they say about your life? After I first came here, I think it was like the second or third month, I, uh, I told a story about Thane Baker, who was an Olympic sprinter in 1952 and 56. And in that particular sermon, I was talking about heart and passion. And one of the things that, uh, that Thane Baker taught me as an eighth grader when I had the opportunity to work with him as a coach was that heart and passion, heart and passion will beat talent every time. But there were other things like humility that Mr. Baker taught me. Just kind of a review, I'll remind you how, how I got to know him. Actually, it was through his daughter. She, I was in the eighth grade. She was in the seventh grade. She was really cute. She, they lived across the, across the uh, alley and walking to school. I noticed her, and I'm trying to figure out as an eighth grader, how in the world can I get in contact with this, uh, with this girl? And so what I did was I convinced my parents that there was this really nice family across the alley that they needed to invite over for a barbecue and that it'd be really good for our families to get to know each other. Well, they bought it. And so consequently, I got to know Catherine. And we had lots of fun together. Um, you know, one, not one time in the, uh, in the first six months that we knew the Bakers, did uh, Mr. Baker ever mention that he was an Olympic champion? I mean, for me, he was just another dad, you know. And, and then one day, Catherine challenged me to a race. Now, I'm an eighth grade boy. She's a seventh grade girl. Yeah, right. I'll even give you a head start. She blew me away. I mean, I was mortified. A seventh grade girl beat me? How could this be? I mean, I am just, I'm embarrassed. I don't want to talk to her. And she says, come on, Johnny. Johnny, you know, I get my running ability from my dad. And I'm kind of looking at her. She goes, well, he was, he was an Olympic champion. And I said, liar. <laughs> she goes, no, really. I said, he's just a dad. She goes, no, really. So she takes me over the house. We go in the house. She finds her dad. And she says, dad, will you show Johnny your medals? And he said, Catherine, you know we don't talk about that. And she says, yeah, but he doesn't believe me. So he took me back in the den. He had a little safe that was hidden back there, opened it up, and he pulled out his gold, the two bronze and the silver. I, I, I later found out that at one time he held the 200 meters record for, for a couple of years, world record. And I, I'm, I'm looking at him, a dad, and looking at these medals going, this doesn't connect. 
And he said, I don't show these to very many people. And I thought, if I had these medals, I'd be wearing them every day. I'd be wearing them every day. And what he said to me was, this isn't who I am. It's not who I am. He said, they open doors for me to work with young men like you to help you be better. But first and foremost, I'm Catherine and Jimmy's father. I am a deacon in my church. I am a follower and lover of Jesus. That's who I am. You know, I'll never forget that. These are just ways that, these are just things that open doors that I might help others. Jesus was the Son of God. He could have done all things, anything. And yet God loved us so much that he suffered for us that we might live. Maybe it's time for us to put our pride aside, to humble ourselves before the Lord, to put away our medals, our achievements, our need to be right or our need to be, to be important. And as we go out those doors, to be constantly thinking, what can I do to help lift up others in my family? What can I do to lift up others in my church, in my community? Not so much how can I make myself better, but how can I bring others to God's table?